Welcome to Shift with CJ. I'm your host CJ and together we will explore the areas of health, human performance, biohacking, psychology and much more that will inspire you to become the best version of yourself. All throughout my life, I have experimented with various kind of diets, whether it be keto, whether it be the zone diet, whether it be Atkins, whether it be paleo, whether it be vegan, and so much more, to be honest. And this is because I think a structured or having rather a structured nutrition is a big part of performance. And I understood it at a very early age in my life, especially the day after I was eating my favorite burgers and pizzas. I also love nutrition and biochemistry, so I keep investigating in different sorts of protocols. And for those of you who know me, you might have noticed that I've been adding a lot of meat to my plate. And today on the podcast, I have someone special who will clear out most of your questions about if CJ was doing the right thing. My guest on the show today is Scott Milinski. He is the host of the Carnivore Cast and Making a Man podcast. And I wanted to interview him today about the Carnivore Cast because what he does is that he interviews world's leading doctors, researchers, experts, and even people like us, like everyday people who overcome a variety of problems, whether it be chronic health problems or, you know, some other problems that um, don't allow them to be the best of themselves. So that's why I have Scott on the show today. Welcome, Scott. Thank you. Very excited to be here. And I'm very excited to have you. Introduction. Oh, you deserve more, man. I, was just, <laughs> I couldn't remember more, so I was just like, <laughs> I skipped it. <laughs> oh, that's great. So tell me, when did you decide to be carnivore? Have you been carnivore? Your, I mean, has it been a few years? Has it been a few months? What's going on? Yeah, so it was a gradual transition for me from, um, I'd say, more of a standard American diet to something closer to like a slow carb Tim Ferriss diet, to paleo, to keto, mm-hmm. to eventually carnivore. Um, and I first found out about carnivore in 2016. I was listening to a podcast with Amber O'Hearn, um, who's a, a veteran carnivore dieter and expert and researcher in the field who's who's been carnivore for over a decade, I believe. Um, and she was talking about how a lot of the epidemiological evidence that supports um, plants, vegetables, and fruits in particular being supremely healthy is the same evidence, the same type of evidence that vilified cholesterol and eggs mm-hmm. and red meat, which we know is is not completely accurate. Um, and so I said, hey, that's really interesting. And I was already eating at that point, a diet which was predominantly meat with some avocado, some nuts, some some vegetables. And so I said, hey, why don't I just try eating only meat, drop this other stuff, see how I feel. Um, you know, I, at the time I had some gut issues, some metabolic issues. Um, I could lose some weight. Um, I had some energy issues. And uh, so I, I decided to give it a shot and I dove in and uh, I followed a very strict carnivore diet, no cheats, no exceptions for three years. And then um, in 2019, I started systematically reintroducing foods very slowly um, to what I eat today, which is a much broader spectrum of foods. 
Um, but I still host the Carnivore Cast, as you mentioned, still um, am very involved in the Carnivore community and still eat a lot of meat. <laughs> Amazing. Um, it looks like a well-planned journey at this point. But when what happens is when I talk to people and I tell them, hey, um, this weekend, I'm only going to eat meat and eggs. They're like, how can you just do that to yourself? Because meat, again, <laughs> we know that, you know, like you mentioned, cholesterol, meat, all of these things have been vilified in the past. And now research has, not even research, evidence is there to support that it was all quote-unquote bullshit. But there is still this persona of people and they think that when you're only eating meat, it's a bit scary. Hmm. Why do you think, I mean, apart from, apart from this, um, you know, vilified things of others, why do you think people have this perception about meat and moving forward like do you think the carnivore diet is safe for long term yeah i i think it's very safe for long term there are a lot of different directions to take this but um you know animal foods are the most nutrient dense foods on the planet in terms of vitamins and minerals um beef especially has more more of them that you can't get from the plant kingdom um and they're more bioavailable as well so whereas we might be able to get something like vitamin A from spinach, it's not going to be as readily used and available in our body as vitamin A from, say, beef liver. Um, and, and red meat is full of essential B vitamins, folate, all these things that um, we can't get really from a vegan diet or a plant-based diet in sufficient amounts, and a lot of people are deficient in. So eating, eating a lot of meat regardless of whether you're going to drop vegetables or plant food is just a great idea for your for your overall health um, additionally a lot of people are under eating protein um, or not getting the right amounts of protein the right sources of protein and so meat is great it has a complete amino acid profile it's a great source of um, protein to help support not only building muscle but a lot of vital organ function it's important for your skin your nails your teeth your your brain top function optimally um, so all these things can be found in meat um, in in great quantities and without a lot of things that are potentially problematic for some people not everyone has averse reactions to fiber or fodmaps or certain foods but a lot of people do and so i think the carnivore diet um, at its core is really a very effective elimination diet um, mm -hmm. to take things out and then you can test them and you can see what you react to. Some people have problems with dairy. Some people have problems with nuts. Some people have problems with certain types of vegetables, um, with fruits, with grains. And, um, by, by trying a carnivore diet for 30 days, you can, you can find a lot of those things out for yourself. Mm -hmm. Isn't it better to get like a food analysis, um, like a re food reaction analysis done, and then you get to know exactly what you're allergic from and just remove that uh, food group? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, a lot of the science I've seen is that those tests are highly inaccurate. Okay. Um, and so unfortunately, um, they can't be super reliable. And also, oftentimes, like one problem with those types of tests is they'll just pop up whatever you've been eating a lot of lately. So if you've been eating a lot of dairy in like the weeks leading up to the test, it'll say, oh, you're allergic to dairy because there'll be a lot of those enzymes and that 
food present in your blood. Um, so it's very easy to show up on a test for what you might react to. So um, I really think the most simple and effective way, and it can be it can be a slog sometimes. It can take time mm -hmm. to do a food reintroduction protocol, but it was really beneficial for me, for my wife, for some clients I've worked with um, to try this. And you know, you can you can have different degrees of rigidity and flexibility with food reintroduction. You can do it super precisely and exactly, like one food at a time once a week um mm -hmm. and and that could take forever <laughs> or you can say hey you know today i'm gonna try eating fruit um and see how you do for a day or two and then tomorrow i'm gonna try eating vegetables it doesn't have to be super complicated um i recommend somewhere in between the middle of those two extremes mm -hmm. but uh yeah i think i think a food reintroduction is probably the best way to learn yeah, I would also agree that um, sometimes the best answer is found in balance and you don't have to mm -hmm. linger around in the extreme ends. I mean, you can do that, yeah. but then you always come back to balance. Yeah, uh, And this is my personal story. All throughout my life, I have been um, on the extreme ends of things. So I'm with that kind of a mindset mm -hmm. that if I like something or if I have to chase something and that's it, very type A, like I have to go get that. And then yeah. I remember my grandma, when, I, when she was still alive, she would always tell me that, hey, CJ, everything in life is in a balance. And the more you bring balance into your life, you'll start seeing good things. And I was like, you don't know nothing. It's so old and you're not from this generation. <laughs> and things don't work out that way. But then as I, as, um, I age, I realized that every time you look for the extremes, it it does work out for some time, but then you come to a realization that hey, maybe the balance approach was a good approach. Now you brought up something important, um, fiber. And in the last 10 years, Scott, there has been a ton of research that has come around the gut microbiome. And yeah. you know, right now it's a very lucrative market because the amount of companies that I'm seeing that are focusing on the health of those trillions of bacteria which are inside us is insane. I personally, mm. for the longest period of time, also knew that um, when the early research, research were coming in, that how the microbiome has a connection to your mind, to your mental health, for your life quality, right. and so much more. And then when I look into most of the research, then there is one word that sticks out, and you mentioned that word, which is fiber. Mm. And we know that one of the one of the things that the gut microbes do is ferment the fiber and make things like short chain fatty acids like butyrate acetate mm -hmm. things like that yeah and i wanted to get your take on if you're not well let's say if you're not introducing in your strict carnivore and every fruit and vegetable is bad yeah. um how does the how do you how do you like recompensate for the fiber piece i have a few ideas but i just wanted to hear your take on it yeah, I'd love to hear your take as well. And I'm certainly not an expert on the gut microbiome or mm -hmm. fiber in particular, but um, a few things to note. One is like greater diversity of gut flora. That mm -hmm. hypothesis that more diversity is always better is founded on populations of people who are all eating plant, predominantly plant-based diets. Mm -hmm. So like, yes, it may very well be true that if you are eating a lot of fruits and vegetables and plants, then yes, it is better to have more diverse gut microbiome. Um, it, it's, it's similar to the argument for fiber's inclusion in the diet at all. If someone's eating a standard American diet or a standard Western diet of just 
cakes and cookies and crisps and bread mm. and refined foods. And then all of a sudden they increase the fiber in their diet. They start eating, um, you know, whole grains and more fruit and more vegetables. Yes, their diet got healthier. I wouldn't argue with that. But is it because fiber has some magical quality? Or is it because they got rid of some of these processed um, poor foods in, in their in their diet. Similarly, if we look at the microbiomes of two different people, and one person had a really poorly diverse microbiome, um, and one person had a very diverse microbiome, maybe it's just that the the person with poor microbiome uh, diversity was already unhealthy. And that microbiome is just a reflection of some disease or some um, state of unhealthiness. And, and it's not that having more diversity made the other person healthier. It may just be that as a result of their health, their microbiome becomes less diverse. So when you when you go into these topics, it becomes really complicated to sort out mm -hmm. causality and to say, we need to make our microbiome more diverse because of X. Um, the next point I'll make is just that, you know, we have a very different digestive system than um, a lot of herbivores. Um, a lot of grazing animals, as well as um, you know, some of our ancestors like apes, gorillas, they have the ability to ferment, just as you said, a lot greater amount of fiber to create short-chain fatty acids. We don't, we don't have that. As we evolved and we grew bigger brains and bigger heads, we actually lost some of our digestive organs. Um, you know, people talk about how cows have four stomachs. Well, they actually do. And if you actually break down, you know, cows are eating grass all day long, you would think, oh, they're eating a high carb diet. Same with um, gorillas. Mm -hmm. But actually, they're able to ferment those, those grasses to create short chain fatty acids, just as you said. Um, and so they're actually eating a predominantly fat based diet, when you think about what they're actually consuming. Um, so a, a lot of animals are actually on a keto diet, even though they're eating carbs all day long, which I thought was super interesting. But our ability to do that is extremely limited. Um, I remember seeing somewhere, and I, don't quote me on this, that we're only able to ferment about 10 grams worth of fiber into short-chain fatty acids. So the rest of it is just completely indigestible. So it just passes through, it creates waste and bulk and, and creates a lot of havoc and, and conditions like SIBO and IBS. Um, it can exacerbate existing conditions like Crohn's disease for people. So fiber um, definitely is not all good and all um, necessary. Um, and, and I think also, you know, we're able to get more of those short chain fatty acids from the foods we eat if we're eating a high, high fat diet, uh, a ketogenic style diet or a carnivore style diet. Mm -hmm. But super well, curious to hear your take yeah, on all that. That is um, that is very interesting. The whole thing about the cows having four stomachs and their their ability to ferment all this food. I've never thought about it that way. Well, my take is pretty much similar to yours because um, I have been on the ketogenic diet for a while, and now I'm more into like cyclical ketosis. I'm transitioning a bit into carnivore or keto world, let's say. But um, I learned this when I was on the ketogenic diet that the active ketones like beta hydroxybutyrate also produces short chain fatty acids so like you mentioned when you're having a high fat meal or you're somewhere in that ketogenic phase and we also know that if you're eating pure carnivore then chances are you would have uh, highly elevated levels of ketones and those ketones naturally help 
you get the same benefits of short chain fatty acids. And mm-hmm. even some things like, because I used to do an 18 hour fast, a 20 hour fast, 24 hour fast. And I also learned that intermittent fasting, but not just going all crazy, but like well-structured intermittent fasting can also stimulate similar effects of things like butrate and other short chain fatty acids. And apart from, you know, just getting the whole bulk of vegetables and then it turns, like you said, like, you know, gas bloating, they can have constipation, gut issues, things like that. So that was, that, that is one of those things that I thought about and, um, and yeah, pretty much matches yours. Yeah. And, um, so you have spoken to experts all over the world. Now there is a person, I mean, a curious person like me or who really loves health and nutrition, we might have a idea about the carnivore diet, you know, reading some papers, doing some Mm. research on Google, asking Dr. Google, let's say. But (laughs) then you've spoken to so many people and like your podcast is like really informative. So can you tell us like some things that you have learned from the experts, which probably is not mainstream right now? Like mm. some of the things that you found like, wow, everyone should be knowing this, but no one really knows this about the carnivore diet. Can you throw us like one, two, three, how many ever you want? Yeah. Oh, wow. You're, you're putting me on the spot here. Um, so I, I think one that's super interesting is just around the nutrient density um, mm-hmm. that, you know, the, the plant foods are, are, have more bioavailable nutrients and more right. of the nutrients you need. Another really interesting one that most people probably wouldn't know. Um, this is a good one. Uh, so when you include certain plant foods in your diet, it actually inhibits the absorption of nutrients from animal foods. So um, one great example is vitamin C. So the vitamin C, the metabolism of vitamin C in our body directly competes with metabolism of glucose. So if we have a lot of glucose and we're eating a lot of carbohydrates, we actually need more vitamin C. So when you eliminate carbohydrates, when you eliminate certain fruits from your diet, your body actually needs less of certain nutrients to get by. So that's really interesting. And then on top of that, there's this really interesting study where they had people eat oysters and oysters are really high in zinc. Um, mm-hmm. which is a, a nutrient a lot of people are deficient in as well. Um, and they had they tested the absorption of zinc after people ate oysters. And they either ate oysters plain, or they ate oysters with corn tortillas, or oysters with corn tortillas and black beans. And the people who ate um, just oysters, their zinc levels shot up, right? They absorbed mm-hmm. a lot of zinc. The people who ate it with the more they ate the, the plant foods, the corn tortillas and black beans, the lower their zinc uh, absorption was to the point where a lot of people had no zinc absorption. So the really interesting thing about carnivore and, and why I say it's, it's like the ultimate elimination diet is because not only will you find out which foods you react to, you'll also just like free up the space in your body to be absorbing nutrients maximally which is really awesome and why I think a lot of people feel so much better after the adaptation period on a carnivore diet. They start to feel really awesome because for the first time ever, they're getting all these nutrients and their body's really able to absorb them and use them very quickly. Um, So I'd say that's one thing that's really interesting. The other thing about a carnivore diet that most people probably don't know just from like typical mass media is it's really not a weight loss diet. 
I, I think if someone came to me and said, I need to lose 30 pounds in 30 days, I would not start them on the carnivore diet. The carnivore diet is more about resetting your gut health, your mental health, your physical health, your attachment to food, um, your metabolic health, um, and getting healthy first. And then as a consequence of that longer term, it becomes effortless um, to lose weight and, and, and keep weight off. And it's more sustainable in that way. But it's not a quick fix. It's not something where you'll just start eating it and you'll instantly drop weight. Some people might if you're really overweight and you've been eating in a huge surplus, but a lot of people come to the carnivore diet and they've been restricting and dieting for so long and they start carnivore diet and they actually gain some weight initially. And that's okay. They need Their body needs more nutrients. They need to get healthier. Um, they may put on some muscle mass. They may recomposition their self. It's not just about the weight on the scale. Um, and so I, I really encourage when people start the diet to have a longer longer time horizon it doesn't mean you have to be super strict carnivore for the whole time horizon but if you're going to be eating more meat don't say i'm doing this because i need to lose weight in the short term i think you're set up to fail when you do that allow yourself give yourself the freedom to eat as much as you need to the point where you're not hungry fill up on the good stuff fill up on meat um so you're not snacking between meals, so you don't have cravings. And then naturally, you'll get to a point where you're so satisfied that it becomes easier to go longer periods of time without eating. It becomes easier to eat less food. Um, so I don't think people should come to a carnivore diet with a mindset of restriction saying, you know, I'm going to intermittent fast and I'm going to do CrossFit six times a week and mm -hmm. I'm going to go into calorie deficit and I'm going to lose 30 pounds. I think you're set up to fail. I think people should start from a place of, hey, I'm going to get my health in Order. I'm going to eat some more meat. I'm going to rest. I'm going to focus on my sleep. I'm going to build good habits. I'm going to repair myself. It's going to become easier long term to lose weight when I do that. I love that. I love that. And everyone who's listening to this, one of the questions that I think everyone must be having right now is <laughs> if, um, if you had to suggest someone that who wanted to lose so much weight, which diet would you put them on? Oh, I, probably like a protein sparing modified fast, just like Okay. Lean chicken breast and vegetables and like starve yourself and you know you'd probably destroy your metabolic health your thyroid would tank get hypercortisol yeah exactly <laughs> yeah exactly and then you know after 30 days you'd you'd feel absolutely miserable and maybe you'd lose some weight and then you know you'd binge and gain it all back and then some and feel way worse yeah. And then so, you see why your boss or your wife or like people around you start hating you now because you, yeah. you don't have any more patience to deal with yeah. everyone's bullshit. Exactly. <laughs> love that. Love that. Also, um, I, I love all the points that you said. And it also reminds me of um, these times where I'm, normally when I cross like a salad bar or something or once me and my mates want to get some food and everyone's like hey i've gone to the gym so i'm like trying to be in shape and i've got to like put on the vegetables and salads and then me honestly like i'm tired of telling people stuff so because most of the times my friends are not that they're not too much into health so they don't they're not going to listen so i'm just going to be quiet and i just observe them and then almost even with my friends or like others 85 percent of the time all of these people who want to lose weight or just want to get in shape, they will head over to a fancy salad bar. And most of the times they're like, oh, is there protein? Yeah, tuna, chicken, fish, I don't care. But oh, we also have to put the lean greens in. So then I see people put kale. I see people put collard greens. I see people put mm -hmm. spinach. And then they pay a hefty amount for their salad because it's like all fancy. But what happens is, 
people don't realize, and everyone who's listening to this, I want you to understand this, that vegetables have something known as anti-nutrients. And what anti-nutrients are, are every different, different vegetables have like different subsectors of these anti-nutrients. And one of the properties of these anti-nutrients is to have enzyme inhibitors. And what these enzyme inhibitors do is that let's say you're putting that spinach and you're putting all of those things and now you think you're going to get like the calcium and all the vitamin C, but that doesn't happen. Instead, it actually blocks the protein uh, enzymes like trypsin, chymotrypsin and things like that from your food, just like Scott says. So it's like you think you're going to be healthy and you put all these things with phytates, lectins, goitrogens, uh, phytic acid, oxalates, and all of these tend to do worse things for you. So when it comes to vegetables, like I want everyone to know that not every vegetable on the face of this planet, and we haven't even gone to the issue of, you know, pesticides, glyphosate, organic, non-organic, all of that stuff that plays a bigger role when you're choosing your vegetables. But I just want you to know that not just because, you know, you hear everyone say that, hey, vegetables are good for you. It is the kind of vegetable and the type of vegetable and where you source that vegetable from. Not every vegetable is good. Like some people will have crazy reactions to nightshades. You might not even know until a few days later. So um, just don't fall under the trap of thinking that all vegetables are great. I did when I was vegan a couple of years ago, but I don't want you guys to face it. So this is why we are having this conversation right now. And talking about vegetables, then comes another thing. Now, how many times, Scott, like before you got into the health and wellness thing, like let's say when we were growing up, right? We were kids. And then how many times have you heard that, hey, have your fruits and vegetables? Mm. It is crazy that the fruits and vegetables are completely different groups of food and people always combine them together. And over time, we've just been conditioned to believe that fruits always go with vegetables. But I think it's kind of like ridiculous because, you know, fruits is just a completely different class of things. The sugar in them, the fructose, like the whole, uh, you know, the carbon chain is completely different. But again, a lot of people think that these foods or fruits provide them with many minerals, vitamins, etc. So I know the answer to this, but I just want everyone to hear your take, like, what what's going on there and like can you get all the minerals and stuff from a carnivore diet yeah so it's so interesting and and you raise really good perspective cj that like we have this halo around fruits and vegetables we think of them as like the only source of vitamins the only source of minerals um in the diet and everything else is kind of just like energy or trash or people even think of meat as just like harmful and destructive to mm. your body and like the less of it you eat the better because it'll it'll just hurt your heart the more of it you eat um but really you know all foods are made up of vitamins and minerals and carbon just just like you said um just to different degrees and meat just happens to be very high in vitamins and minerals and it's in the form that our body is most used to processing we evolved eating 
lots of meat. A lot of the other foods which we've genetically engineered and, and mass produced and um, chemically created uh, that are a big part of the modern diet today, um, including a lot of vegetables, which almost all evolved from one plant, the brassica plant, um, mm -hmm. that uh, is basically a, a form of broccoli that we, we use to breed like 90% of vegetables from. Um, all of those foods are, uh, are, are interesting and, and have certain properties and can be useful for satiety reasons, for performance, um, for enjoyment, uh, for certain access to certain types of minerals and, and vitamins. But um, a lot of them didn't exist until the last few hundred years. Um, so really what our bodies evolved to um, eat and make use of is, is meat and animal foods. And I can give countless examples, but you know, liver is the best possible source of vitamin A and folate, which are very important for brain function and um, uh, uh, thyroid function in your body. Eggs are the best possible source of vitamin K and choline. Um, and cholesterol, which is uh, super important for um, sexual hormonal production, um, and and the list goes on. Like uh, butter is is high in vitamin K. Um, uh, sardines and and seafood can be very high in things like zinc and calcium, um, which can be very hard to get in bioavailable form from other foods. So yeah, actually, um, this perception of fruits and vegetables as being like the key to all vitamins and minerals and the only foods that provide that health effect um, is just something that I think has kind of evolved with marketing and media. Um, but it, it's, it's not true when, when you look into the actual, the actual science of the, the vitamin and mineral balance. I'm not talking just like, trust the system, believe me, meat is, is great. Um, like actually go and look at the amounts of, of these nutrients in different foods. And you'll see that meat has the highest um, in many cases. Completely agree, man. Um, and nowadays it's like, you know, you'll have different memes and stuff going around. And I've seen a lot which compares like um, the nutrients in liver or, you know, yeah, mostly the liver and like all these vegetables. And guys, take it from me as well. It's not just God. It's not just me. You can go to PubMed and do a research on it. but. Um, it is for real. And it's not yes. one of those things that, hey, I had my grandfather's friend who came over and he said that this is good. This is all good. It's not like that anymore. It's just yeah. that we have information and not just information. We have evidence. They have clinical data. They have everything that you should trust on. Um, and yeah, make your own choice. But Scott, let's... Um, I know you mentioned about what, how you've transitioned into like going more into a balance and things, but let's say for an average person, walk us through your day. Like, what do you eat? Like, do you wake up? Are you having some kind of supplements? Is it, or do you have to supplement on the carnivore diet um, mm -hmm. in any way? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think it's, it's very individual. Uh, I think in general, the carnivore diet is about elimination. And so mm -hmm. for the most part, hopefully you shouldn't need a lot of supplementation. Mm -hmm. There are a few exceptions. One is when you're starting out on a carnivore diet, there can be an adaptation period in which it's really important to increase your electrolytes because we're not eating as many carbohydrates. Our, our body isn't um, 
you know, processed foods inherently come with a lot of salt attached to them. Um, if you buy bread, if you if you're eating um, pasta, things like that, there's there's already a lot of salt on it. But additionally, carbohydrates um, cause your body to store glycogen, and with it, more electrolytes. So when you get rid of all of those carbohydrates, your body releases a lot of glycogen and a lot of water and flushes a lot of electrolytes out. So people get this thing called the keto flu, um, mm-hmm. where you have flu-like symptoms, you have a headache, you feel drained, you feel tired, you get cravings. A lot of times you're just low on electrolytes. So in the adaptation period, I think it is really beneficial to supplement not only with salting your food a lot, but trying to get some form of an electrolyte supplement that contains sodium, potassium, and magnesium in appropriate quantities. So that's one. Um, additionally, I think most people are just deficient in magnesium. So having magnesium before bed can really help um, with that and can help um, calm you down and can help you sleep. Um, there's a lot of good science to support that. Additionally, there's some debate in the carnivore community over whether you need to eat organ meats, you need to eat offal, um, or if you can mm-hmm. just get away with eating muscle meat, things like steaks and burgers and pork mm-hmm. chops and, and chicken breasts. Um, and, and you know, I, I'm, I can see both sides of the argument. I think for someone trying the carnivore diet, absolutely you don't have to eat organ meats. Like it's not going to be an issue um, if, you, if you don't eat organ meats for a couple months. Not at all. Um, Long term, there are hundreds um, or thousands of carnivore veterans who have been eating a carnivore diet for years, decades, without ever eating organ meats. And interestingly, most of the long-term carnivores don't eat organ meats at all. So that says something. Um, but I, I do like to include them. Um, I think it's helpful to have you know, a little bit more variety. I couldn't stand liver when I first started the carnivore diet. And actually like two years in, I started craving it. So that's interesting. Um, but yeah, if, if you're not eating liver, um, you're theoretically not getting um, as much vitamin A or as much folate as you would. Um, and so, you know, maybe there's an argument to be had that you need to have those things. But again, that's thinking about someone with typical, um, coming from the perspective of someone with a typical like Western diet that includes a much more diverse array of foods. We don't have long-term studies on people eating only carnivore or only meat. Maybe they don't need as much vitamin A. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I don't know if you need that, but one other supplement you could take if you didn't want to eat organ meats is something like um, a, a liver supplement or an organ supplement. Um, I, I helped uh, this company formulate their product. Um, they're called Optimal Carnivore, and they make an organ supplement made from freeze-dried organs from grass-fed cows in New Zealand, and they have a liver one, and they have a, a collagen one. Um, so that's an option if you want to, but again, you don't. Ha- you certainly don't have to. Um, but in general, I, I don't think people need a ton of supplements. Talking about that company, I want everyone to know that I have won four bottles of organ <laughs> meat capsules guys yeah hey one yeah. for dubai um <laughs> yeah looking forward to that and it's really interesting yeah. because when i first um so apart from being into nutrition and things like that i've kept my eyes on the longevity um scene for some time and one of the mm. things that did discourage me from eating meat at least a couple of years ago was that all these studies that were coming around with mTOR and especially with muscle meats and how muscle meats, um, you know, start up 
this growth pathway in our body and that growth pathway if you don't control it right then it might just start aging you faster but apart from that even the ratio of protein like the availability of excess methionine and um, homocysteine and things like that have been shown to you know have been shown at least in some people to uh, accelerate aging so i would mm. also argue that yeah maybe there are some people who have gotten away with muscle meats but um when we're talking to the public we're talking about we're talking to everyone we're not talking about only the guys who want to go to the gym and use all those muscle meats and that high protein to build muscle but people who want to live for a long time and be healthy and according to me out of all the things that i've seen i feel that organs have like that's why they say have a nose to tail carnivore approach i mean no one ever eats a nose or the tail i don't know why they call that but like yeah nose <laughs> to tail is basically saying that you have to eat um the entire part of the animal so you get more of you know the tissues that have more collagen and um you have all these connective tissues and things like that and also things like the organ meats like liver i personally have started eating um liver heart if i can find it kidneys uh spleen uh the brain is i, I think the most complicated one because it's so fragile and like to cook it it's it's i haven't got my head around it yet but i have for everyone who's listening also started using a lot of organ meats uh for a few months now and um and yeah i feel the difference and this brings me to another question which of course has been all over the place for your carnivore community grass fed meat versus mm. non grass fed meat what yeah. are your thoughts what are your takes yeah so labels can be very deceiving um and very inaccurate so at least here in the united states the label grass fed um is pretty much meaningless it's not regulated at all anyone can slap it on their product Additionally, all cattle are raised grass-fed for 85% of their life. Some cattle are finished on grain. Some cattle are finished on grass. Um, so grass-fed is kind of like saying nothing. It's like saying like, you know, water drinking human. Everyone drinks water. Um, so every, every cow that's raised is grass-fed, technically. Um, a lot of people make the argument, or some people make the argument that finishing a cow on grass um is is healthier and and produces better quality meat or tastier meat um it's also in most places a lot more expensive um i think there there hasn't been any strong evidence to say that the nutrient profile of grass finished meat is really supremely better than than grain finished meat um, I think people should always opt for quality and the quality they can afford and the food they enjoy. Um, but you know, there have not been long-term studies on humans eating only grass-finished versus only grain-finished meat, showing any difference in outcomes. Um, I think when you look at the, like one of the strongest arguments for eating grass-finished meat is that um, there's a higher omega-3 to omega-6 fatty acid ratio. Um, but really, that's like very small um, when you compare it to just eating like one one source of pork once in your whole week. If you eat bacon once, that 
is like a huge load of omega-6 fatty acids and it wipes out any difference between the omega-3 and omega-6 between grass-finished and grain-finished beef that you would have for the whole week. Um, same with having like nuts once or having uh, chicken once. Those foods are so high on omega-6 that it wipes out any difference in, in, the, in the beef you're eating. So I think, you know, on the whole, it probably doesn't matter. You should eat the meat you can afford, eat the meat you enjoy, um, and eat the eat the meat that you want to support. Um, whether it's a local farmer, which which I think is is fantastic, you can look for something like a meat share or a meat CSA, um, or um, you know if if you want to just go to your grocery store and get the meat from the butcher there that um, is affordable to you. Whatever, whatever you can do, whatever you can enjoy and make sustainable, I think is more important. And like with all these things, with, with eating organ meats, with grass-fed, grass-finished, with you know ratios of macronutrients, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Um, focus on what you can do consistently and what you can adhere to, and that's going to be way more important in the long run. But even for people who want to be optimal, I don't think grass-fed versus grass-finished matters. I love that. I, as you were saying that, two, three things just went past my mind. First, I wanted to copy your quote because it's it's really good. Don't let the perfect be the enemy that? of the good. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. I stole that from somewhere. That's not that's not me. <laughs> I love it. I, I'm just like, I opened up the notepad and I'm like writing it down. So thanks <laughs> for sharing that. Really, it, it kind of like resonates with me. Being on the extreme ends of things, like, yeah, I wish I knew this before. And secondly, um, one of the other things that just strike me, right? Um, when I used to travel a lot before and uh, obviously after COVID and stuff, and every time I would travel, because in UAE, we don't really have a big market of grass-fed, grass-finished products so if i would travel to the us i would travel to south africa i would travel like somewhere and all like half of my bag would only be full of meat because i would go to the grocery store <laughs> and i'll be like grass-fed perfect got it you know finally because mm -hmm. i was like oh grass-fed is a good thing if not grass-fed you're like a bad person so i would like literally pack all these grass-fed things and then every time i would land back in my you know take a picture or, like send it to my friends they're like why would you pay so much money for like the same thing? I'm like, because it's grass-fed, hello. And, and as soon as he said that, like, you know, in the US, especially because I did a lot of my shopping from the US, that um, these things are unregulated. Like all of my friends' faces just popped in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's I was funny. like, oh God, I, I, sh yeah, I should have listened to that. <laughs> yeah, it just, it just happened. And then this quote. Uh, but thanks for sharing that because that honestly does, um, solve a lot of confusion because you know you hear a lot of the grass-fed and i would always try to but very rarely you're right uh, would they mention on the label that it is grass-fed and grass-finished most of the times it's only like grass-fed yeah. or like pasture-raised but like not pasture-finished so that's an important thing for people to look into and another thing that you mentioned was eat what is easier for you and mm -hmm. eat you know, eat if you're if you're in a place where you have farmers market, go to your local farmers market, talk to that person, you get a vibe, you know, and then support them. Or you know, in US, I know you have these different com companies who are actually doing all this grass fed like butcher box and things like that. You can go to them or just cross this cross the street. I mean, you know, just because you can't and you said it, I can't 
say it any better. Don't let the just cross the street, get the liver, cook it, and enjoy. It. Now, yeah, what what's the role of because? Um, Surprisingly, I've never been so much into dairy, but when I when I see the world, like people are, love dairy. Um, yeah, there's something about dairy that people love a lot. What's the role for dairy in the carnivore diet? Do you, I mean, because it comes from cows, right? So, yeah. So I I I like to really not be dogmatic in my approach to diet, or I, I really hate when people are like, "This food is carnivore. This food isn't carnivore," just because it came yeah. from an animal. Like, if you want to eat honey. Go ahead, be my guest, but don't tell me that like honey is magical and and harmless just yeah. because it came from an animal and mm -hmm. is technically carnivore uh, versus some other form of sugar, like whatever. Um, so that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. But I think dairy um, is very individualistic. I think this is something you need to test. A lot of people have really bad inflammation, gut health um, responses from dairy. Um, it makes a lot of people sick. It can mess with your sleep, your digestion. Um, a lot of people gain a lot of weight very quickly eating dairy, partly because of the casomorphines. Um, something like 90% of people have a gene where um, cheese is extremely addictive to them and their body can't really regulate um, the amount of cheese they eat. It's like hyper palatable. Um, so I'd say, you know, test it out for yourself. You may be lactose intolerant. You may just get a bad response from dairy um, in how you perform, how you look, how you feel. Um, so try it, try it out for yourself. Mm -hmm. And do you prefer, or in your personal choice, do you, would you tell people that to choose a dairy versus the another? Like we know that most of the mm -hmm. things that you mentioned come from the A1 dairy, which is like a type of yeah. protein, creatine protein that uh, they produce but then there's also a2 that the goat sheep and i think buffaloes also produce it and yeah. um do you recommend people try out like a2 versus yeah. a1 yeah. yeah you could try that if you want to um yeah i i like i i don't i don't have a, a horse in that race you can you can try whatever you want cool and um so there are as of what I understand. So if someone is trying to be athletic and someone's trying to like, you know, put on some muscle mass, do you think it's possible to do that just with the carnivore diet? Or, you know, you need to add in, you don't have to be so dogmatic about it. Uh, you need to add some carbs here and there just for the insulin response. Or like, what have you yeah. seen or noticed with people when it comes to building muscle, you know, getting strength? Yeah, so the number one driver of building muscle is going to be the training. Um, your response to training is what causes your your muscles to build. So you need to sufficiently challenge your muscle. Um, mm -hmm. Doesn't really matter what fuel you're providing it if you're not training hard and training the muscle progressively with heavier weights or more reps or more tension. Um, then it's it's not going to grow. It's not going to be challenged. It's going to have no reason to to respond and evolve because um, muscle is extremely metabolic expensive for the body to maintain so it doesn't want to have a lot of muscle that's why it's so easy to gain fat so much harder to gain muscle um, so i'd say number one is the training after that the vast majority of people can build amazing physiques and everything they would want from a body transformation without carbohydrates i don't think they're necessary to build muscle and there's a lot of great research from uh, dr stuart mcgill 
um, and Dr. Jose Antonio and others, protein researchers, experts in the space that show that you don't need glucose, you don't need um, you don't need carbs to build muscle, and your body can when it does need some carbs, it can produce its own through gluconeogenesis, which is the conversion of um, amino acids into into glycogen. So um, the short answer is no. Um, you know, if you are, you know, a, a very high performing athlete, and if you can tolerate carbs, and, and you want some carbohydrates, they're a great fast digesting, readily available fuel source. Um, and I think they do promote anabolism and, and building muscle tissue to a degree, but you really don't need them. Okay. Sounds good. That does clear out a lot of confusion. Also, um, you know, when we look into the science of longevity and things like that, there are plant-based compounds that have shown to have some kind of an effect on human lifespan. Well, things like um, resveratrol from red wine, you could talk about the curcumin or tumorosaccharides from turmeric, the sulforaphane from that brassica family or like broccoli. And do you think there is in a in a in a long term plan do you think there is some role for these these very specific uh, plant compounds like flavonoids polyphenols and things like that to increase our health span um i don't know i i don't okay. know that should have been my first answer to every question you asked first of all um but yeah i i'm i'm not sure the science is not completely clear cut to me on whether those things are actually health promoting um some people like Rhonda patrick you know um sing the praises of these plant polyphenols yeah. and say things like sulforaphane um create this hormetic response this like small stress response that causes our body to adapt and get stronger and um others would say no, that's just like microdosing poison. It's not helpful. Um, it's it's a toxin. It will only hurt your body and accumulate over time. Um, the answer is probably somewhere in between, and it's probably different for different people. But I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure really. What about the other piece? When you have high levels of meat, uh, things like IGF one and mTOR arise in the body. Now, I've heard some people even argue that counter to whatever the science tells us that people who eat carnivore GF1 and mTOR doesn't spike as much as you would think it is. Have you uh, spoken to someone about that? What are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah there's a really interesting um, study that Dr. Ted Naiman, he's a protein researcher. Oh, he's going to um, be on the podcast soon. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you should ask him that question because I believe he shared a study showing IGF-1 and glucose response on a zero-carb diet, and it was almost a flat line. Um, so, you know, there are different theories about protein restriction to increase longevity. Um, mm -hmm. People saying, you know, to, to live a really long time, you need to live on the edge of caloric restriction and always under eat protein and glucose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if that is true, which hasn't been proven in humans at all, it's only been proven in like small animal studies. Um, it's completely speculative. 
what quality of life is that? If you're just going to like shrivel away, be tired and cranky and hungry all the time, no lean muscle mass, like, you know, a lot of people die just from breaking their hip. And, you know, if you're not resistance training, which promotes mTOR and you're not eating protein, which promotes mTOR, you're, you're not going to have sufficient muscle mass, bone mass, um, health to, to fight off things like hip fractures and um you know muscle is really the organ of longevity when someone gets um a condition like covid or cancer or something like that the muscles actually supply the amino acids um to keep your body going um and you know across the board there tons of longitudinal studies on humans people with the most muscle mass you know barring the bodybuilders who take huge amounts of anabolic steroids and have super physiological amounts of muscle mass but in general, people with more lean body tissue, muscle, bone, organ, um, live longer. Um, and people who exercise and eat high-protein diet, they, they live longer. They're fit. They're healthy. Um, so I'd say you know, speculating about mTOR and IGF-1 for longevity is um, just that, speculation. Um, and you know, fr- from all uh, the evidence we do have, people who build muscle, build lean tissue, lose body fat, exercise, eat protein, all these behaviors, they're the healthiest people on earth. So um, I, I, I'm not convinced about the mTOR and IGF-1 arguments. Sounds fair. And I'll definitely ask Dr. Ted about this question. And, yeah. and um, you know, we're coming to an end to today's podcast and the time by, man, is like we can... Yeah keep going for hours and hours yeah but um we have to end it some way so if my last question to you would be if you had a time machine and you can go back to your younger self knowing all that you know right now now it doesn't have to be like you know go and tell yourself like hey liver isn't tasty but deal with it (laughs) or it i mean you know it's not like go buy some bitcoin and things like that but like knowing everything that you know knowing all the experience that you've had in your life if you were had to tell yourself like one two three whatever pieces of advice what would that be yeah number one would be uh start lifting weights (laughs) i wish i had done that earlier in life i spent eight years Mm -hmm. as a competitive lightweight rower and it um negatively impacted my health in a lot of ways and you know, since I've started lifting weights and built some muscle, my, I've gotten way healthier and just felt mm-hmm. better and been more functional and happier. And I wish I had started doing it way earlier than I did. I started a bit later in life with that. So that'd be number one. Um, number two would be, you know, just ask questions and um, don't get attached to one diet, one dogmatic way of thinking like you talked about with, with your past with veganism like just be open um because there's truth to all the different um camps and diet dogmas there's there's something to be learned from all of them and just because a lot of what they're saying is nonsense or there's one thing they say that you don't agree with you can still learn from that um so i'd say those those would be the two main things amazing sounds great and um i really appreciate you being on the show this was a fantastic conversation i've got to learn a lot from you and um, I look forward to diving a bit deeper, slowly and steadily into the carnivore diet. And I will definitely keep you updated on uh, how's that going. And awesome. for everyone who's listening, this is me, your host, CJ, who is now signing off from the Shift with CJ podcast. 
I hope all of you guys had a great time with us as we had talking. And see you guys later in some other podcast. Have a great day. Have a great week. Have a great month. Have a great year. Have fun. Your time and presence with us through this podcast is highly appreciated. If you want to.